Listen as I read. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty praises as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Peace be with you. Thank you for reading that, CEO. Um, before, before we hop into that text, I do just want to say, um, last Sunday night, uh, we started something uh, for the Sundays of Lent uh, called uh, Gather the Hungry, and it is at 6 o'clock on Sunday nights. Uh, it was last week, and then it'll be the next five Sundays uh, through the season of Lent. It is downtown at First Baptist Church, uh, starts at 6 p.m., and, um, you know, it's, it's, been a, it's been a little bit of an interesting journey um, because on the one hand, we wanted you to know it was happening. On the other hand, we didn't want any pressure to be on you because the whole point of it is if you're hungry, come. And if you're not hungry, there, like no judgment. No, like, you, don't, you don't need to come. Um, but the, the psalmist says that, that, that God fills the hungry with good things. And, uh, and so we're gathering to sing and to pray uh, for a season of time uh, every Sunday night. And, um, and, and you are invited to be there. Our first one was last week. Uh, we learned some things. Uh, some things went well. Some things didn't. Um, and uh, we're going to keep our, an- our hands wide open on this. And we're going to do it again tonight. And we're going to learn some things tonight. And uh, we'll make some adjustments for next week. And we're going to keep, uh, keep learning how to, to try to pray as, as hungry people um, uh, in, over, these, over this season of Lent, and we'll see where it goes from there. But if, you, uh, would, if you're hungry uh, and you want to join us, uh, it's 6 o'clock tonight, uh, downtown First Baptist Church. At, I think the address is 244 Washington Street, uh, and it is, uh, uh, we're, we're waiting on the Lord to see, uh, to see what he wants to do uh, as, we, as we gather. So there was a, uh, maybe 40, 40 or 50 of us that were there last week, and uh, you are invited to join us uh, if, you, if you want to be there. Uh, so we've been walking through the sermon, uh, actually through the Gospel of Matthew, uh, since the beginning of 2023. So we've been in this for a long time. This is technically Matthew part 38. Uh, we got into the Sermon on the Mount, went all the way through the Sermon on the Mount, got done the Sermon on the Mount at the end of December, or in the middle of December, um, and then we've come back to the Lord's Prayer in order to give the Lord's Prayer a handful of Sundays uh, and just walk through it uh, kind of petition by petition, phrase by phrase. And, um, and it's been a, been a sweet, uh, sweet time. Um, but, you know, the, the, the more um, that we unpack this prayer, uh, the, the more obvious it, it becomes that this prayer is like, 
I mean, you could say it's like the source code or it's like, you know, like, you know, uh, social media, like their algorithm is like, it's like that's the key to how these social media platforms work. It's like, what's the algorithm? It's like the Lord's prayer is that. It's like the source code. It's like the algorithm. It's like, it's like the, 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 the boiled down, like that's it. That's the secret sauce. I mean, if you think about what Jesus is inviting us to pray about, Time and time again, what we've seen is it's a phrase. Yes, it's a phrase, but Jesus is not asking you to just repeat some phrase. He's actually saying this is like, in a sense, it like creates a bucket. And like, here, here's a bucket that you should be roaming around in. Here's another bucket that you should be roaming around in. And if you think of what Jesus says in this sermon, he starts off with father and, and all the realities of, of this 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 fundamental relationship that we need to have restored uh, in our life. Every human being needs to be restored to God as father. I mean, if you think about the message of the Bible, that at the beginning of the Bible, God, God creates this world and everything is right and everything is good. And man is walking with God. And then sin shows up and breaks that relationship, breaks everything, including that relationship with God. And so it's this journey then, the rest of the story of the Bible is this journey of how in the world could those humans who were once connected to God with intimacy and family relation, how could that ever be restored? And in this prayer, Jesus starts off by saying, you could, you, it could happen. You, you could actually talk to God as, as father. There's a way for that to happen. Then he says, hallowed be your name. That this God in heaven, this father in heaven, that his name should be hallowed. That means that it should be holy. It should be set apart. It means it should be central, the most important thing, like the most essential thing in your life. And if you think of the greatest commandments that are referenced throughout the Bible, it's to, it's to love the Lord your God with everything you've got. You know, Jesus is gonna, in, the, in the Gospel of Matthew and in other Matthews, he says you got, or in other Gospels, he says you got to give up your life if you want life. It's like he's got to be it. He's got to be the centerpiece of your life. Hallowed be your name. Then he says your kingdom come. This is what Jesus talked about all the time. Read the Gospels. When Jesus shows up, it is like always one of his first comments is to be like, I'm here with the kingdom. The kingdom's at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. I'm here with the kingdom. Inferring that he's the king. And so we, we have this, this recognition of the kingdom of God and longing for it to come. God's will. A couple weeks ago, we, we waded into this one. And in, in, in a sense, you could say that this phrase, where if we actually pray, your will be done, that what we're really saying is not my will, but your will be done. Another way to say it, I trust you. I, like, I trust the God of heaven with what's going on on this earth. One of the reasons why we pray for God's will to be done is because it's not being done. Because look around, look in your own life. Look at your own story. God's will is not being done, and we long for it to be done. Last week, we looked at, uh, give, us, give us this day our daily bread, this recognition that we are not independent. We are not self-sufficient. We have daily needs, and we have eternal needs, because that phrase is not only saying that we need our daily food, which we do. We need daily resources. We need things like oxygen and water, but we also need the ultimate bread, the true bread of life, who is Jesus himself. And today, today we move into the subject of forgiveness. One commentator named Dale Bruner, he suggests that forgiveness is almost a single word summary of both the Christian gospel 
and the Christian ethic of God's gift to us and our responsibility to others. That this one word, forgiveness, covers, it's, it's, like, it's a one word summary of the gospel and Christian ethics. I mean, if that is not at the, at the centerpiece of what God is doing in the world. So th this prayer is just putting on the table the, the biggest things for us to think about. And maybe you grew up in a church that recited this every week, and that would be beautiful. You, maybe you had this memorized and you knew it you know, backwards and forwards. That, that would all be wonderful. But the, the danger would be somehow thinking that these phrases are magic phrases, and that, that's not what Jesus is saying. They're not magic phrases. They're inviting us into the most essential realities of God's work in the world, who he is, what he's doing, and what he invites, invites us into. And so, uh, what Dale Bruner, again, on our subject today, verse 12, about forgiveness, uh, he says it's a, basically a one-word summary of both the Christian gospel and the Christian ethic. Why would he say that? Well, uh, let's, let's, we're going to look at it. Uh, before we go, I, I just want to say, I said this a couple weeks ago in, on the, the subject of uh, God's will being done. Uh, you know, th this subject, um, it, it, is, it is heavy, and at the same time, it is very, very important. Um, the, the subject of forgiveness is intensely personal for, for a lot of us. Uh, we, you know, if you've been around on this earth for more than like two minutes, um, you've probably had to navigate uh, the realities of forgiveness wrongs that you have done, wrongs that have been done against you. And uh, I guess I want you to know uh, up front that I'm not trying to treat anything in that category lightly. I, I understand that the harm that is, that, that is uh, experienced by, by, by many, many people on this broken, world, on, on this broken earth um, is, uh, it can, can be extreme. And so this, I, I want, I, I, my, my hope is, my prayer is that you receive this as an invitation from Jesus on how to interact with and how to move towards uh, this, this life that Jesus says is, is the good life. This sermon has the potential of, potential of making you uncomfortable. It also has the potential, I think, of, of dramatically changing your life. And so um, 40 minutes is, I, I know for some of you, it feels like an eternity, <laughs> um, but, but 40 minutes really is not that long and it goes by fast. And, you know, every pastor has to deal with this every Sunday where you just have an edit room floor, you know, with all this stuff and you're like, surely the people would have liked to have heard more. Um, and, and, <laughs> um, but, you know, we're, we're trying to live within some, some realm of, uh, you know, understanding. So, um, so anyway, just I want to say that up front. This is heavy. It's important. Um, it might be uncomfortable, but I also think that Jesus is, is, even if it's just the start of the conversation for you on this subject, uh, I think it's something that is, is really important uh, for you to consider and for me to consider. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, <clears throat> Jesus says, and forgive us our debts as we uh, also have forgiven our debtors. It starts off with forgive us. Forgive us. You know, every, every single Sunday, including today, we have an invitation to confession of sin. And uh, un, in an unplanned way, Mason gave us two today. So there you go. Uh, we, we, we have a, a, a space where we invite you to confess. We, we ask you all to participate. And you might say, well, you know, why, why, why do we do that every Sunday? Well, you've already experienced it. But honestly, our, our liturgy... Our, our, our team here is assuming that every person in this room actually needs to confess. That, that's, we're coming in here assuming that. 
we, we, we love you, but we look at you and we're like, you, you actually need to confess this morning. We look in the mirror and we're like, yeah, I need to confess this morning. And so there's an assumption that's at play in regard to our need to confess that not one of us has lived in such a way that from the time you confessed last Sunday morning, you know, 168 hours ago, um, till this moment that you have lived in a way that you've not sinned against God. Now, even if you have the good practice of personal confession on a daily basis, you and I are still in need of pausing before God to own our sins, uh, our sins of commission and our sins of omission. You know, sins of commission are the sins that you willfully do, that you intentionally do with, 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 your, with your hands or with your body or with your mouth. Sins of omission are the things that you, you should have done, but you didn't do them. And so there's this invitation to actually sit before the God of heaven and recognize like, you know, you could have duct taped yourself to a chair and kind of, kind of come to the conclusion that I did no sins of, of commission. Uh, okay, but then you would have done sins of omission because there are things that God calls you to as his, as his child that you didn't engage in. So sins of commission, sins of uh, commission, sins of omission, uh, to confess wrong actions, wrong motivations, to confess our evil deeds, and many of the reasons why we did many of our good deeds. This, this means that, as Martin Luther famously said, all of life is repentance. There's this recognition that it's just this constant recognition that I, I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm coming before the God of heaven, aware of the fact that there's areas of my life that are still distorted, that there's motivations or desires or actions or habits that are just, they're just not in line with God's good way. And so I can actually come to him and talk to him about those things. Now, that may bother you. It actually has bothered quite a few people. Some people have not stayed at our church because that is an uncomfortable part of our service. And so maybe you think it's overkill. But let, let me try to show you, at least in part, why we don't think so. Uh, and to do that, we're going we're to use Jesus' phrase here. That he's, you know, in, in these early verses that you heard read this morning by Theo, she, she read the, the, the verses where Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. And then when he gives us the prayer, one of the lines is, forgive us. So when you pray, pray like this. And then he says, one of the things you should pray is forgive us. You know, forgiveness is a major issue in our culture, um, even, even within the church. Uh, a couple years ago, we did a sermon series called Songs of the People, and uh, Psalms of the People, and, and we invited you as a congregation to submit various psalms that you would be interested in hearing preached. And so you submitted a, a whole bunch of ideas, and you want to know what one of the most requested psalms was? Psalm 51. Now, now Psalm 51 is, is a psalm uh, from King David, and it is in response to his adultery with Bathsheba, to his uh, adulterous, uh, unfair, inappropriate, abusive, manipulative affair with Bathsheba. And as he writes those verses that have become relatively famous in Psalm 51, he does not hold back. David gets really direct. And I'm guessing that for those of you who submitted that psalm, that you are trying to figure out what to do with that psalm. That you are figuring out maybe what to do with your own failures. Maybe you were trying to figure out, you know, things that you had done. Maybe you were trying to figure out what you were supposed to do with something that had been done to you. 
Maybe you were trying to just come up with the language of, of confession. Maybe you were trying to understand why it is that David is so aggressive, why he gets so specific about his sin. Whatever the case was, it was on the radar of this congregation, a, a request to say, hey, could that be one that we explore? Our broader culture has, has a problem with, with forgiveness. Uh, it's tried to relativize and minimize sin. I, you know, I'm sure that you have experienced this in, in various ways. I was just in a conversation the other day, and I was talking about um, the, the, the reality of a certain aspect of, of, of life, and I said, well, that would be considered a, a sin, the sin, sin of pride. And, and the person responded by saying, well, that would be a sin to you. And so there was very much a sense of saying, well, that's on your list. It's not on my list. I don't consider that one to be a sin. And if you just span out and look at how things are unfolding in, in all kinds of places in our culture, whether it's uh, it, 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 the realm doesn't even matter, whether it's business or education or entertainment, we are trying to relativize or minimize sin in part so that we just don't have to deal with it. Because if we can get rid of that category, then we can get rid of having to address it. We can get rid of having to repent. We can get rid of all the stuff that I just said and all of this, uh, you know, this, this owning your wrongs and having to go to another person or go to God or all, all, we're trying to minimize, we're trying to relativize. But there is growing evidence that we know it doesn't work, that the broader culture knows that it doesn't work. We still have this eerie sense that something is wrong with us and it just bubbles out in all kinds of different ways. We still want to hold people accountable. We still want to identify things as wrong. We still want a, like a, a moral world. Now the categories are changing. What's put in the category of moral and immoral is changing. But if you read the New York Times or the Washington Post or self-help books, if you, any of those things, and there is a clear sense that something is not right, that something is wrong with us, that something is wrong with the world, and our culture can tell us that we don't need forgiveness, but we still feel like we do. And we don't know what to do about it. Well, Jesus says, I have something for you. Ask your Father in heaven to forgive you. Why not go to God and ask God to forgive you? That's what Jesus says, just point blank. You know, this, this Father that we're praying to, say to him, forgive me. Would you forgive me? It's pretty amazing. Well, forgive us of what? Maybe you're familiar with this debate, um, but you know we, we say forgive us our debts. Uh, in the Bible that's in the chairs in front of you is the version ESV, the English Standard Version. And the English Standard Version uses the word debts, forgive us our debts. Um, but if you get a group of people together and say, let's recite the Lord's Prayer, You've probably had this happen. You get like 50% maybe that would say debts, a third that say sins, and then there's just a few people out there who say trespasses. And it's like, what's, what's going on? How, how did these three different words end up as kind of the normal way to either quote or say uh, the, the Lord's Prayer? Uh, and and, and let, let me tell you, it's, it's actually, it's not terribly complicated. It's, it's actually relatively, relatively simple. Um, the Greek word in Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, the, the verse that we're looking at in the Lord's Prayer, it's clearly the word for debt. 
That, that is, that is the, the best English word for that Greek word. And it's indicating that that person owes a debt, whether financial or in this case, it's indicating a moral debt. If you were to hop over to Luke's gospel and read Luke's account of the Lord's Prayer, when Luke writes that, Luke uses the Greek word, a different Greek word, and he uses the Greek word for sin. And so if you're more familiar with Luke's version or that's just in orbit for you uh, or might make more sense to you, that, that's, it's, it's logical. Luke uses, uh, uh, records Jesus using the word, the, the, the Greek word for sin. And then if you come back to Matthew chapter 6, and you see that after the Lord's Prayer ends in verse 13, verses 14 and 15, Jesus expounds on forgiveness a little bit. And when he does, if you have your Bibles open, it says, and if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. So Matthew then includes the word trespasses in verse 14. So in, in a sense, all three of these words are in orbit. If you want to know why people have moved the word trespass into the Lord's Prayer, you need to go investigate William Tyndale from like 600 years ago. Um, but that, you know, that's, not, that's not for this morning. But that, that's why it actually trespasses makes it into the prayer itself. But, but all three of those words, the, the point is that Jesus is saying that our situation involves sin. And that sin creates a debt. It creates a debt to God and to others, and it trespasses or it oversteps prescribed limits and boundaries. So all three of these words, actually, they, they all move in the right direction. because they're, they're just all putting the accent on a little bit of a different idea. This, this, this sense of debt would be to say that you, you actually have a moral owing, like you have created a moral debt. Trespass would be like there was a boundary there, and you went outside that boundary. You went into territory that you should not have gone into. And then the word sin in the Bible is a very common word that is used to say anything that's not in line with God's design, anything that is contrary to what God says, uh, to how God says things should go. So debts, sins, trespasses, uh, you know, we, we use debts because the version of the Bible that we most commonly use uses debts. But all three of those words help us to explore what Jesus is saying we need to talk to our Father about. Sin creates debt, and it trespasses over, over, over the boundaries. Jesus is clearly telling us to talk to the God of heaven about our need for forgiveness. And why? Because all sin is ultimately against God. You could say, I, man, I, I lied to my, to my sister. Why do I need to talk to God about that? Well, because the actual structure of the Bible would say that ultimately all sin is against God. Martin Luther, you know, 500 years ago famously said that we never break any other commandment unless we have first broken the first commandment. And the first commandment is to have no other gods before Yahweh. And so the only way that you would ever break another commandment is if you're displacing him. If, you, if, you, if you're in a moment where you choose to say, you know, what, I'm not going to tell the truth here, I'm going to lie. Martin Luther says that's just evidence that you've already broken the first commandment that something else is controlling you more than the God of heaven. Because if the God of heaven was controlling you, then you would pick the truth. But you didn't. You picked a lie. So yeah, you broke the commandment down here, but that's only because you already broke the first commandment. In other words, you have dishonored God. You've displaced God. 
And ultimately, all sin is in that category. And so when David, in that classic psalm that we were just referring to in Psalm 51, when he is recounting what he's done to Bathsheba and to Bathsheba's family and to his, to his kingdom, he, he actually says, to you and you only. He's talking to the God of heaven. He says, to you and you only have I sinned. Now, in some ways, that's a, 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 a dramatization. He's, he's, in a sense, overstating it because he did indeed sin against Bathsheba. He did indeed sin against Bathsheba's husband. But he's trying to show us that the most ultimate sense of this sin was against the God of heaven. And so this first phrase, this idea of forgiveness, we, we need to be forgiven. And Jesus says, I got the place for you to take it. T take it to your Father in heaven. Well, the next phrase is, as we also have forgiven. So Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So right after Jesus tells us we need to ask for forgiveness, he says, you need to be forgivers. Now, what does it look like to forgive? Well, it means to release grudges and to release offenses. That's actually what the Greek word means. The, the Greek word that Jesus uses right here means to release or technically to send off. When you say, when Jesus says, forgive others, he's saying, release them, send them off. Let them, in a sense, off the hook. Jesus is saying that instead of ignoring the conflicts and the quarrels of your life, instead of just saying, you know, like, like God make this disappear, I don't wanna to have to face this. No, he's saying you actually can face it and you can intentionally release it. You can actually intentionally open your hands to God and release it. Now, that might sound scary. That might sound hard. You might not like that idea. Because think about this. Holding on to our grudges can, can almost be a way to self-soothe. If someone has done something wrong to you, and that would be every person in this room has had someone do something wrong to them, it is actually really enjoyable to not let it go, to, to hold on to it, to revisit it, and to retell it, and to retell it to ourselves, and guess what? Retell it to any other audience that we can find that wants to hear about it. Because that gives us the chance to, with our words, murder that person time and time again. How dare they do that to me? And as we get to rehearse that, and we get to revisit that, and we get to retell that, and sometimes we add a lot of color, and we add a lot of new details, and it just gets more severe, and it gets harder and worse. I, uh, in in, in uh, January, I was in a conversation with someone uh, and we had been in a situation earlier that day. I was there, the two of them were there, and one of the people that I was with had been kind of gotten into a verbal altercation, altercation with another person. And as we're then in the aftermath of this, the three of us are talking with the person that, that actually caused the problem not there. And as I heard the two of them describing what happened in this interaction, it was almost like it was a fight. It was almost like somebody got punched in the face and there was these screaming and this yelling. And it's like, I was there, but I, I didn't remember any of that. And it was just like, it made them feel better 
to think that they had been wronged more. And as they rehearsed it and as they repeated it, it increased in its intensity. And I'm not saying that what's happened to you isn't already intense. I'm just saying that when you hear this idea of Jesus saying, release it, what may be racing through you is, they don't deserve to have it released. Do do you know how bad this is? And something you might be unaware of is how much it comforts you to rehearse it and to revisit it. We are wronged by someone and we don't want to let it go. We chew on it. We maul over it time and time again. And you know what we end up with? We end up with a person in our mind who is a caricature. They're, they're actually a distorted version. Uh, Tim Keller in his book on forgiveness, he, he uses the illustration that, you know, if you ever have a cartoon, uh, a, a, somebody who does caricatures uh, and draws, draws like a cartoon of you um, at like a fair or something, He's like, buckle up, because it's not going to be the most flattering thing. Because what they do, part of the gimmick there, is that they take some feature of yours and they exaggerate it. This is what political cartoonists do with all of our presidents. Have you ever seen George W. Bush's ears in the, in the, in the political cartoons? Like, they, they exaggerated those. They did it with Obama, too. They, they, they exaggerate these features, and it kind of is like it's comic. It's kind of, it's kind of funny. But that's what we end up doing. That's, we, we end up making people into a caricature to where we've taken this one part or this one action, and when we see them, that's all we see is this wrong that they have done against us. It's a distortion. And you say, well, what's going on with that? Well, part of what's going on, I think Jesus is saying, is that we've forgotten the first half of this verse. We're forgot, we've forgotten that we need forgiveness too. Miroslav Wolf, who's on faculty at Yale, he said, forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans, even as I exclude myself from the community of sinners. And so he's saying that I forget that I needed forgiveness and is all I can see is that they are a sinner. So I don't think of myself as a sinner, but is all I think of them is that they are a sinner. He's saying you will never forgive someone if you make them into an inhumane sinner. If you give them no grace, if you give no context, no compassion for their actions. If you ever get caught doing something wrong, don't you love to give all the context for it? All the, all the nuance, all the, you know, all the situation that, well, this is why I ended up lying. This is why I ended up, you, you want all the excuses built in, even if you're willing to admit you did it. You want people to know, like, you're not an animal. But you know what you do to the person who wrongs you? You make them into an animal. You remove, you remove them from the community of humans. They're just a sinner, and that's a caricature. They've just become that. We give ourselves all kinds of excuses for our behaviors, but we give them none. Now, you might be saying, what if they have not asked me for forgiveness? Well, listen to me carefully here. Jesus does not list any prerequisite for granting forgiveness. He doesn't at all. He says, as we forgive our debtors. Now, There's a word that the Bible loves, and it's the word reconciliation. 
And the word reconciliation or to be reconciled means to be brought back together, reunited, brought to one. That idea of two parties being fully reconciled, that can only happen if there are two parties involved. If there is a party who has wronged, who is asking for forgiveness, and there's a party who's been wronged, who's willing to grant the forgiveness. That is what the Bible would call reconciliation. That takes two parties. And so for there to be full reconciliation, you need both people involved. But Jesus calls on you and me, he calls on his followers to forgive unconditionally, to release unconditionally. Now, there's so much we could say about this, and a lot of people have written on it. Miroslav Volf has written on it. Uh, Desmond Tutu has written on it. Uh, books that we've used here, Ken Sandy has written on this at length, and uh, there's a book on our book wall uh, by Tim Keller called Forgive um, that is um, one of his last, I think it's actually his last, last book before he died. Uh, th- those are all uh, resources that you can explore this more. Now, ideally, again, ideally there's full reconciliation, but even if there's not, here's the good news. This is what the Bible was saying you can still forgive. Even if there's not full reconciliation, you can still forgive, which means that we can have the attitude of forgiveness towards a person that never even asks us to forgive them. And you know what that does for you? It frees you of all the bitterness and the anger. It releases you from all of that stuff. And it allows you to move in the world. Because what if the person who's wronged you has already died? They aren't going to be able to ask you for your forgiveness. And so what are you supposed to do? Well, the answer from the Bible is you can actually be freed from all of that baggage. You really can release it before the God of heaven. Now, I want to say this because of our cultural moment, but also because it's, it's good. This is not a call to endure violence or to turn a blind eye to harmful behavior. Uh, First Peter four, eight, I love this verse. It says that love covers a multitude of sin. Isn't that great news? that love covers a multitude of sin. But do you notice that it does not say that love covers all sin? And the reason it doesn't say that is because sometimes the loving thing to do is to actually uncover the sin. The most loving thing you could ever do for someone is to uncover the sin, to actually bring it into the light of day because it is never loving to let another person continue in harmful sin patterns. So Peter says, yeah, love can cover a ton of things. Your your spouse leaving their socks on the floor again. Love can probably cover that. You probably don't need to sit down and have a confrontation about that. There's a lot of things that love can cover. But there are some things where love would actually say, don't don't cover that. Uncover that. Because that's a a pattern in their life. That's, That's damaging them. That's hurting other people. So things that we've referenced before, like like spousal abuse or any form of abuse, there's a sense in which we are not, this is not a call to cover those things up. This, this, This would be, the Bible would say to uncover those things. But the good news for you is that you can actually move towards forgiveness even if the wronging party never asks you for it. And friend, that is that is good news. Let me, let me close with this. Well, uh, John Smed's wheel. We've been working our way through John Smed's wheel here. Um, and uh, today's uh, forgive us as we forgive. 
The selfish prayer would be, you know, quarrels or conflict avoidance that we're just fighting with everybody or trying to avoid all of our fights. Instead, we actually are invited to release, release our grudges, release our debts um, against others. Let, let, me, let me finish with uh, our, our third point. That, that, this stuff might be easy to say and really, really hard to do. I mean, it sounds good, but let's be honest, it's, it's really, really hard. Because you might be sitting there and saying, that person that I have in mind right now really, really hurt me. And they shouldn't just get released from it. You know, some of you have heavy real life examples. Like, it's not like they stole my cookie. It's like they destroyed my life. Like, I deal with the effects of their actions every day of my life. So why would you ever do this? Why would you ever forgive others? Well, Jesus is pointing to something deeper. He's pointing to the overflow of having been forgiven. This, like the rest of the Lord's Prayer, is about more, it's more about the positioning of your heart than it is about the specific request. Praying this petition is to ask God to give you a rich and full grasp of the severity of sin and the scandal of grace. Let, let me get even more serious for a minute. Did you notice that little word, as? If, you're, if you still have your Bible open, in verse 12, it says, you know, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. What's going on with that little word? It, it's functioning as a conjunction, and it has been troublesome for a lot of people who have taken the time to think about it. What is Jesus saying with that phrase? Is he saying that I am forgiven by God because I forgive others? Is that what Jesus is saying? I mean, look at that verse. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Is, that, is Jesus saying that if you forgive others, then you can be forgiven? That you will be forgiven because you forgave others? Is that what Jesus is saying? Well, the answer is no. That that would be meriting or earning your forgiveness. And the rest of Jesus' teaching, the rest of the Bible's teaching, disagrees with that. So it can't be that. But do you know what I think he is saying? Jesus is saying that the one who lacks a willingness to forgive is revealing something about the condition of their heart. There's an illustration that we've used throughout the years quite a few times, actually. And it's this. The fruit on a tree does not make the tree alive. The fruit on the tree just reveals. It just proves that the tree is alive. You, you don't take apples and, and glue apples to the end of a dead tree and it makes the tree alive. A living tree produces apples. And what Jesus is saying here is that a forgiving heart proves that your heart has actually been forgiven. That when you are willing to forgive, it's revealing something about what you understand in your relationship with God. So listen to how one commentator puts this. Therefore, to be forgiven and not forgiving, to have obtained mercy and not be merciful, is in reality to have failed to experience God's gracious acceptance. That what Jesus, I think, is saying with this phrase is this. You, you desperately need to be forgiven by the God of heaven. If that has happened, you know what's going to show up in your life? The fruit of that. 
The fruit is going to be that you are someone who forgives others. Jesus is showing us that the unforgiving person is revealed to be an unforgiven person. That they actually don't understand it. In, in, in a few chapters, we're going to run into a parable, a parable uh, about a, an interaction just like this, where one person is forgiven an incredible amount, but then it's revealed that they don't have any idea of what that forgiveness is. They don't understand it at all. It missed them completely. And Jesus is saying that's really possible for us. It's really possible that you know all these details about who God is, that you know that forgiveness is available, you, you know all of these things, but it hasn't actually become personal to you. You actually haven't experienced what it's like to truly, genuinely have those debts removed, to actually have your sin forgiven, that you're still interacting with God in some sort of way to where maybe you think that you've earned it. So now you look at this other person who has done a bad thing to you and you say, well, they haven't earned it. They don't deserve it. But Jesus is saying, can, can, you, can you see that the forgiveness that you receive in the Father, that wasn't deserved either. And the more you realize that that kind of forgiveness that's poured out on you wasn't deserved, the more clearly you are going to be one who forgives others. You know, this is the only petition in this prayer that Jesus gives extra commentary to. The prayer gets done in verse 13, and in verses 14 and 15, it's like he reiterates it. He comes back to this idea. It's almost like, I know how bad this sounds. I'm going to say it again. You've got to forgive those people who wronged you. You've got to be willing to release it. Until we are humbled by our own sinfulness and filled with joy by God's immeasurable forgiveness, this will never make sense. There's a text in the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 3, and, and, and I'll, just, uh, I'll just paraphrase it for you, but, but here's what happens. Um, the, the high priest Joshua has a vision, and it's not Joshua from the book of Joshua, it's a different Joshua, but the, the high priest Joshua ha has a vision, and this is his vision. He's the high priest of Israel, and he, he has this vision, and this is, he's standing before the throne of God. And he is standing there before God, and along comes Satan. And Satan starts to point at high priest Joshua and basically says to God, this guy doesn't belong here. Look at his clothes. His clothes are all dirty. You're, you're this holy God. He shouldn't be allowed in here. And you know what Joshua realizes? That the accuser is right. That his garments are dirty. And that he's standing before this holy God and he doesn't belong there. That the accuser, who sometimes is a liar, sometimes tells the truth. And this time he's telling the truth. And Joshua is standing before the God of heaven and he realizes, I don't belong to be before the God of heaven. I am dirty. I don't belong here. And you know what God says to Joshua? He's like, okay, you know what? This is all right. You, you, your clothes are dirty. And he says this, take his dirty clothes and give him clean clothes. And the God of heaven takes Joshua's dirty clothes away, and he doesn't wash them up, and he doesn't spray them with shout. He, he gives him new clothes that are pure and white. And all of a sudden now, Joshua is clothed 
in pure white robes before the God of heaven. They're not his robes. He doesn't deserve those robes. But now all the attacks of the enemy are, are the, the venom's gone because he actually does belong before the, the, the throne of God because God has taken away his sin. How can we be sure that we are forgiven? Listen, in, second, in, in, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, it says that when Jesus went to the cross, all of our sins were nailed to the cross. All, all the sins of the world, all the sins that you committed, and all the sins that were committed against you, they were nailed to the cross. That is what Jesus went to the cross for. That's why Jesus came, was to deal with this debt that keeps us separated from the God of heaven. And he came to conquer that so that you could be freed from it and brought in. In the Old Testament, we are told that God, when he forgives us of our sins, he forgives us as far as the east is from the west. It couldn't be further apart. And you say, you know, wait, wait, does God, does God forget about our sins? Well, that sure seems to be what the Bible's saying. Can God forget? I don't think he can forget, but he acts like he does. And when you sin another time and you come back to God and you're like, oh God, I can't believe this. I've done it again. He says, again? What do you mean again? I'll forgive you for this. But what do you mean again? See, as far as, as, far as the east is from the west, th this is the promise there's an English novelist named uh, Marganita Lasky in 20th century. She, she died a few years ago. But she had a quote um, that's kind of resonated with a lot of people. And this is what she said. What I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. I have nobody to forgive me. Well, listen, friends. Thankfully, you and I do. This father in heaven sent his son to come do for us what we could never do for ourselves, to pay all the consequences of sin so that we could be brought in, so that we could be reunited to the Father. All you have to do is come. All you need is need. And if I could say, don't wait. Don't wait running to the Father to receive that forgiveness, and don't wait forgiving those who've wronged you. Release that to the God of heaven. Trust him with that. He, he knows those details better than you know those details. That's not you saying that you know what the consequences should be or shouldn't be. It's you being released from the burden of that, from the weight of that, from the bitterness of that, from the anger of that. And God wants to invite you into something better. As we come to this table, you know, there's a whole bunch of different ways that you can come to communion. And uh, you can come in celebration, a recognition of what Jesus has done on your behalf. Uh, you can come with a, with a, uh, a recognition of, of, of separation. Uh, you can come confessing sin. You, you can come asking for forgiveness, a recognition that in your heart and in your life, there are things left un, unaddressed. And my invitation to you today is to actually take Jesus' words very, very seriously here to ask God to forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this text. We thank you for this, this uh, powerful example of, uh, of uh, a prayer of these words that invite us into a whole big conversation 
a conversation that might feel impossible for some of us. But I thank you that Jesus is asking us to see what has happened first, to see what he has done for us, to see that the forgiveness that's been provided to us was never earned. It's not deserved at all. It's a free gift. God, I pray that that would sink deep into our hearts and it would change the way we see the world, that it would change the way we see others. God, those wrongs that have been done to us, the wrongs that we have done, we would recognize that as bad as those things are and as hurtful as those things are, they actually don't have to be a prison. Jesus came to deal with that very problem. Would you help us have eyes to see it? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.